0: Hi, I'm your holistic mindset coach, Paul Shepard, and welcome to the Mindset Change Podcast, where changing your mindset can literally transform your life in ways you can't imagine. I'm very excited to have Simone Heng with me, who is a human connection specialist, TEDx speaker, and author of an incredible new book called Secret Pandemic, The Search for a Connection in a Lonely World. Before we begin, please subscribe so we don't miss another episode. And if you'd like to show the podcast a little love, please leave me a review in Apple Reviews because it does help people find the podcast. That would be very handy to help the show grow. And welcome, Simone.
1: Hi, Paul. Thank you so much for having me all the way from Singapore today and making time for me.
0: Oh, you're welcome. So your wonderful new book, which I really enjoyed, by the way, is all about one of my favorite subjects, human connection. Thank you. And it talks about the impact loneliness can have on us. Now, for a lot of people listening to this, they'll probably have no idea why should they take loneliness seriously?
1: Look, the world is currently in a loneliness epidemic and it was far before COVID-19. So firstly, um, what does that mean? It basically means people are feeling more disconnected than ever. And loneliness is dangerous to our lifespan and our immunity. So yes, of course, it affects our mental health greatly when we don't feel we belong, uh, when we don't feel socially connected. This can be a precursor for a lot of mental health issues like depression, anxiety, anxiety. But on the other hand, there's also the effect to our physical body. And many people don't realize this. So come in the time machine with me. Let's go back to our days living on the savannah as early people in tribes. The tribe kept us safe. So our brain became wired to want connection. It said safety in numbers. And conversely, that means if we were cast out of the tribe or left behind for some reason, some really dark things would happen to our physiology. Like we would go into a fight or flight response because, of course, we didn't have our tribe to protect us. So maybe we didn't have enough food or shelter or anyone to help us fight off a saber-toothed tiger. And to this day, when we're feeling disconnected, that same fight or flight response, those stress hormones are going through our body. And on an incidental case, this is not bad. It's just the body's alarm saying, hey, go out and connect with people. But when this is happening chronically over a long period of time, those stress hormones are going through our body. And this is what lonely people who are chronically lonely experience. And this is why there are those facts that come out, like loneliness is more dangerous than obesity and smoking um, because of what it does to erode your immunity and your well-being over time for people who are chronically lonely.
0: Well, that was was a really surprising section in your book about the impact loneliness has on the physical body. And it talked about how it actually triggers uh, the same receptors as pain. Is that right?
1: Yes, social rejection. This is why we are just... It's so painful for us. You know, if you've ever been through a breakup or or someone just rejected you, people said, oh, we don't want you to be friends with us, how it hurts literally our heart. If you've ever gone through heartbreak, Mm. you've broken up with a good friend, it literally hurts your heart. And um, that's because it's it's near the pain, the same place that physical pain receptors are in the brain. Um, So, yeah, it's very uncomfortable for us.
0: Yeah, I was just wondering about, so being outside of a tribe and being cast out, being rejected, can create, can create that physical pain that makes us want to connect again to soothe that pain. That's, that's powerful stuff I never knew.
1: Absolutely. It's like, hey, you're in danger. This hurts for a reason. Can you go back and find your tribe? And so imagine that we have a loneliness epidemic globally how many people are feeling that pain but don't realise what that is because it's been so long since we've lived in those sorts of communities.
0: Mm. And why do you think, you know, so we can experience that pain, we can experience that loneliness, but why do you think we're not taking it seriously?
1: I think we're very distracted. I think we have a lot of um, things that we use to soothe this pain. And you know, as a therapist, poll, you know that there's, healthy ways to self-soothe and then there are things like addictions which help to distract and numb um from actually looking these issues in the face and the other issue is that lonely people don't know they're lonely so that's what we know about the lonely brain is you have to look at the symptoms so here are some of the symptoms of being lonely if you're if you're not sleeping well micro awakenings are one of the first things you'll experience when you're lonely. And there's incredible work by a lady called Dr. Louise Hawkley. And she literally studies, she has like a control group of people who live, I think, in like an Amish community. And so they're very almost like that tribe I described. And they measure the micro awakenings of. of people there as a control group and they have very few versus maybe some of us like during COVID-19, a lot of people saying, I'm having all these crazy dreams during social distancing. I'm waking up a lot more. Um, These are all markers of, you know, wanting to be better connected. So that's the problem. I think we're not taking it seriously because it's very hard for lonely people to know they're lonely and it's really hard for someone to say, I am lonely because there's so much shame around it.
0: Yeah. Why did, where does that shame come from? Because we, we you know, here in the UK, we say Billy no mates. And I don't know if you've ever heard that term before. So uh, again, it's, it's almost a shaming that if you're on your own, there's something I think own, we have one in Australia that's similar. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, if you're on your own, you're, there's something wrong with you which even that, just believing that about yourself is probably going to stop you trying to reach out and communicate and connect with people the way you'd like to.
1: Yeah. So I grew up in Australia where there was just, it's that big mateship culture thing. So people were really what I call pack animals, like really. And I was this immigrant kid that really had lots of people, my friends, but never really had a click. And I, the only time I ever did was when I lived in Switzerland. But to this day, I still am that girl that has so many different facets to my personality that my friendship groups are very diverse. So it's not one tribe. I mean, birthday parties for me are always crazy. Cause I'm like, will everyone get along. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think that there is something that's toxic also about that, um, stigma about being alone that detracts us from being able to sit in solitude. So solitude is healthy. Solitude is where you choose to be alone. And that's this golden place where we do all the self-connection work, um, which is exactly what you and I were talking about, Paul, before we started recording, where it's where you go, hey, maybe I am a little bit lonely, or maybe I have some blocks here that need to take, be taken care of. It's also the moments where you meditate. We know certain breathing techniques. Activate the vagus nerve to tell the prefrontal cortex to flood the body with oxytocin. Now, oxytocin is obviously what builds trust and relationships. That's when we meet people and they say, Oh, I was so open when I met so and so. I was so open. That's that oxytocin making us open. Now, if we're never sitting with ourselves in healthy solitude because we're ashamed to be Billy Nomates, we also don't get that better gauge of where we're at in order to connect with other people. So I wish there wasn't this stigma around um, being alone for two major reasons. Number one, we would all feel less shame and being vulnerable to say that. And number two, we would all be more comfortable with spending that important time on our own, which I know for many people was excruciating during the pandemic. But so time on your own that you choose is so necessary for self-connection.
0: Absolutely, 100% agree with that. I love my meditation time. I love my self-reflective time. But actually, it's, when I was reading your book, I actually thought to myself, maybe I'd underestimated the impact the pandemic had had. You know, my, my business was most people kind of came to see me online. I did work with lots of, you know, lots of people around the globe. But most people in Brighton came to see me, which is really lovely. And then suddenly that was cut off. You know, my social life was cut off. And it was the only saving grace I had was exercise and meeting people for walks and going for runs. And, you know, it was um, something I think that really got me through. Um, How did you cope with with the pandemic when it hit? Uh, Were you in Singapore? Were you in Australia? Where were you?
1: Yeah, so when the pandemic first hit, I was in a relationship but living separately. um, Was the beginning of that relationship. So I was in a little one-bedroom apartment in Singapore, and I had left my fifteen-year broadcasting career in July of 2019 to set up my speaking business around the topic of human connection. So can you imagine? (laughs) You're um, you're you're setting up this business, and then the pandemic hits, and Prior to 2019, prior to setting up the business in the pandemic, when I was telling people I was researching Human Connection, I mean, they looked at me like, what is this woo-woo thing you're doing? And all of a sudden this pandemic happens and it's extremely scary at the beginning. In fact, my stress level was so high that it actually triggered an autoimmune um, issue for me. So I got very bad hypothyroidism. My hair was falling out because in Singapore... In order to, um, if you were a foreigner, in order to stay in Singapore, you had to show the government that you could meet a salary that you'd pay yourself every month. So literally my survival was on the table in terms of being able to stay in this country. Mm. And, But wonderfully, by a year in, things really changed um, for me. So a year in the pandemic, Singapore was very strict. Um, I'd moved in with that partner. And so then we were cohabitating. We got puppies, and then this topic became one of the most sought-after topics on the planet. And so then I was doing virtual speeches all the time. So it was a really, um, you know, it was a really yin and yang pandemic for me. Um, yeah. But certainly, when it first happened, the the first response was I went straight to the art shop and I bought loads of canvases and paint. And I, um, thought this is your time to do things that soothe you that you never have time to do because, um, you're going to have to really lean into this and change your mindset about this so that that fear that you have, um, can have an outlet and you are all alone in this one bedroom apartment. And so you're going to have to, um, find ways that the therapist has spoken to about to manage, you know, your stress. So that's what I did.
0: Yeah, that that sounds very, very healthy. And, you know, obviously you chose human connection at a very interesting time. And obviously it's worked out, I think, very well for you because it really does add more weight to what you're talking about. Because I think even, you know, I asked you the question earlier of, you know, why don't we take loneliness seriously? Maybe we are now, maybe we are looking at it uh, a bit more um you know with a magnifying glass because we've all been impacted by it more than ever um how did you become someone who's a human connection specialist <laughs> i've never heard of that and i love that but how did you become one I,
1: okay so firstly i don't like to use the word expert so i've chosen okay. the word specialist okay. right so yeah. that because i feel like there's something about the word expert that is like oh I've arrived and I know everything yet and I feel that what makes um me so tied to this subject is that being denied connection for a lot of my childhood is what has made me so passionate about this so actually not being great at human connection and learning with a lot of intention how to do it better is what has made me um a specialist in this area because there's nothing like having something that you crave so deeply Withheld from you to make you curious about it, and when I started, it was more. Um, I had a speaking mentor, and I had been dealing with working in a very toxic workplace. Leg- you know, you're a therapist, and I know many people on here have probably been to therapy. But basically, the media industry allowed me to relive all the pain of my childhood. That entire fight or flight, inflamed state of my childhood of of love and connection being withdrawn the media allowed me to experience that because for all the admiration you would get online or, um, from people who followed your work, the actual industry itself is known for withholding, um, you know, it's extremely harsh industry. So, and it also pits people against each other in this kind of competitiveness, which I experienced in my family home with the dynamic of my sister and I, which my parents would pit us against each other. So it allowed me to relive that toxicity again and again and again. So by about 15 years in, I'm starting to realize having come out of therapy that this is not good for me. I am reenacting my childhood every single day in this toxic environment, in this toxic industry. And more than ever, I realize that the missing piece is kind of connection. And one night I'm on the radio And I'm giving away superhero tickets and this is in my Ted talk. If anyone wants to see it, I'm giving away superhero tickets. And I say, message in and tell me what is the one superpower you would love to have. And this young Singaporean woman called Mei Shuen, I would assume she's in Gen Z, the generation below me. And she says, I would really love to have the superpower of really being able to connect authentically with somebody one-on-one. And that shocked me so much that this was now being considered a superpower. And so at the same time as this is happening, I'm having the toxic workplace. My mother is having cognitive difficulties connecting with herself, remembering that my father died, remembering anything about her life or her her identity. So therefore having issues connecting with me. And as all of this is happening, my mentor turns around and says, you know, I watch you in a room and human connection, you know, the way you connect with people, um, everyone knows who you are, you know, who everyone is, the way you connect with people. And it was at that moment that I was like, there's something here. And then I went like the good Asian kid that I am to do all the research before I ever put the label on myself. Like I went and did all of the research, all of the studies and It was such a fruitful time to be in the pandemic because there were new studies coming out all the time from everything about how we were responding to Zoom communication to which was the loneliest generation. It was just a fascinating time to be invested in this topic. And I realized that my lens, my voice on this was going to be very specifically from the southern hemisphere and it was going to be very specifically about how trauma relates to how we connect with each others because we love people how we were loved so i think my mentor intended it to be like oh a networking topic or like how you know five ways to charm people or something <laughs> like this and for me it just it was it it ran so deep and i woke up one morning and i realized this is the thread that ties your whole life together the being with with having connection withheld learning in a maladaptive way to have connection by being in the media and then the process of learning to pull it back which is still ongoing for me and connect with people in a really healthy way and so i thought well you really are a specialist if you have lived all these different hats of connection um and of course, I never called myself a specialist until people inviting to, me to speak and giving me that name. And so um, after the book, it's just kind of stuck.
0: Awesome. Honestly, I love what you just said about, we love people how we were loved. And I think that just- I
1: wish I could say that that was me, but that's Oprah and
0: Bruce T. Yeah. Perry. It, but you're repeating it here. That's all that matters. <laughs> I'm not going to claim really. that one to be my own fault. Um But I love that because, <laughs> because in the book, you made it really clear- that your relationship attachment styles, you know, and this is a, I think I wish more people knew more about it, that our attachment styles, how our parents interacted Mm. with us have such a big impact on how we connect, not only with ourselves, but with other people. And that was, I said that something that really stood out. So how would you describe your attachment style based on the information, you know, what you got from your parents and how did it impact you?
1: Um, Well, firstly, when you tell a lot of people that when you go to therapy, you work on your childhood, many people like roll their eyes because there've been just too many American TV shows about this. But I do want to say to anyone who's cynical listening, the gold nuggets are there. (laughs) There's no way around it. Um, I, yeah. So I'm definitely a love addict in recovery and that's taken me so long to say out loud. I had so much shame about that. And I think um, when many people don't know what that is as well, they're very cynical about that. But basically, because of the love that was withheld from me, um, and I will characterize that so it's much more visual for if the majority of the listeners here are from outside of Asia, but that Asian parenting style where I would get 80% love from my mum. In order to motivate me to get 100% love, it would only be shown or paid upon achievement. So this is kind of the cycle that there was always this carrot being dangled. And I knew that this carrot existed, but it would only be doled out and very sparingly and to motivate. So it it wired into me that love is conditional and love is right. something to be paid upon in exchange for things. And I still have to like cognitive behavior therapy myself some days out of this when Uh, for this is a really simple example. I'm always the girl that arranges everything. So when I make um, meetings for my friends, I'm always the one that I jump in and get my assistant to research the restaurants and I make the booking and stuff like that. And sometimes when I'm fatigued and I'm at my lowest integration and I'm tired and I'm hungry, I will have the thoughts like, why is it always me organizing this? And I know that that's my mother's voice. That's my mother who would say. How come you always go to that girl's house? She never comes to this house. So you see how that's not authentic connection. That's transactional. And that was very much imbued into my childhood. You know, it was like, your children never see how much I love you. I, I made your your lunchbox for you yesterday. It's like, well, all my Australian friends' mums make the lunchbox every day. And it's never highlighted as a thing. But imagine that you're a kid and you live in this very controlled house and you don't in your gut, in your nervous system, you know, this isn't normal, Mm. but you don't have evidence or proof because you're not, I was not allowed to stay over other people's houses. I didn't really realize how um, abnormal, if I can say, if we can really say what is normal, but how unhealthy it was for me until I went to live with other families in Switzerland as a 17 year old child. So all the way through my formative years, I believe that love is transactional. Love is conditional. And of course, then all you crave is this elusive, full love. And so when I started to date when I was older, um, if I was lucky enough to find myself in a relationship, there was, there was constant testing for love. And this person was giving me their 100%. And they were amazing. And they knew how to love in a healthy way. But it was never enough for me. And then later on, as I got older, I would look for it in terms of quantity of, of love. So I would date a lot, looking for that carrot, searching for that carrot. And, you know, that's still something that I have to manage. And I'm always managing because it's that paradigm. If you've ever listened to the work of Stephen Covey, uh, that paradigm is so ingrained in me and it takes managing just the same way an alcoholic manages their, their alcohol, you know, behaviors.
0: No, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I had very aloof parents, so they were very practical, but there was never a, an I love you or anything like that or the hugs that came for that. Um, and that led me to developing an Were they anxious, critical, Paul? My father was very, was very um, you know, critical to a degree. It was There was never an I'm proud of you. There was never, uh, you know, know, my father only just discovered what I did for a living and I'm 50. So it's, you know, this, it was never that, they never showed much interest. They're more, I discovered that they're more private and that led me to developing that almost that privacy within myself as well. Kind of. There was this like push pull. I wanted to connect, but at the same time I was holding myself back. There was an anxiety around it. And so I, I developed friendships, but never involved myself deeply with friendships I'd always, you know, pull back or do something where I can hold on the information. On the, yeah, yeah, on on the outside. Yeah. So that's that. Oh, where, I know, you know someone
1: uh, just like you, and it's It's, it's strange because for me, I'm almost the oversharer, and because I'm so desperate for that love, right? Um, and your reaction to it is to actually model what your parents, the privacy of mm. their relationship with you is how you learn to be private with your friends. So I think that that's fascinating. And thank you for sharing that.
0: Yeah, no, it was something that I had to learn to, to change. And there were moments of oversharing because I wasn't used to it. It's just like blur, everything would come out. Whereas, you know, what are your boundaries? You don't know. I never, never, I didn't know what to, you know, I didn't know where I stood. So it was all, you know, it was always, you know, quite polarizing one thing or another as I was just trying to find my way. Uh, But it's, but it's when you become more comfortable with yourself and more secure, then I wasn't desperate to try and manipulate or you know manipulate a connection just so that i felt safe i could focus just on being myself yeah. without having to try to get something from the other person that made a big that made a big impact on me with connection i think
1: i love that you mentioned being, feeling safe you know connection is what one of the things that calms us because like i said we feel we're we're wired as social creatures so we want to mm-hmm. be connection soothes us you know when it's authentic um and I think that, that I love that, that you just mentioned,
0: you know, that. What do you think? So there's, I think there's a big movement, especially with today's generation towards what is authenticity. And and I, again, it's, I know that you mentioned it in your book in regards to authentic connection, you know, there's a, a lot of people are trying to get connection through their phones, through Zoom, uh, you know even with even with their friendship groups but they're not quite authentic can you explain about what is an authentic connection
1: yeah so firstly i define authenticity as where all your internal behaviors and values and and beliefs align with your external behaviors you know that's how i feel it i know when someone's authentic um it's interesting being a speaker if you're an hd camera or you're on a stage it doesn't lie people can when they are connecting and watching you, can see every slight movement of your eyes, the twitching in your face. They can see where you're masking something. And so working on that alignment has been one of my top priorities and getting better with that alignment has been really important because people can see when you're hiding in plain sight. And I used to do that for 15 years in the media. I'd be front and center, but not really being me. So that's the first thing. So I would ask the question, Before you go out and connect with other people, are your external behaviours, how you're showing up, aligning with um, your beliefs, your values, what's happening with you internally? Are they aligned or is there some masking going on or is there some overcompensating going on? Because people can tell when you go to connect with them. And then for me, reciprocity is a big part of authentic connection. Like you can, and I, I think particularly when I talk to the Gen Zs about this, and there's some work by Simon Sinek on this, which is interesting, that Gen Z believes, has full belief that their friends will cancel on them for something better. And that shocked me. So it's this idea of we, there's, with the digital, there's just so many options that how could I ever ask anyone to be loyal or to be um, there for me? And this is where we're in a really bit of danger because we need people we can be vulnerable with you know, in our connections. And I'll talk a bit later about the three types of loneliness, uh, which shows us the three types of connection we need. But those authentic connections, I really believe are the people that there's reciprocity. So it's not you messaging people and they're ghosting you and they're not messaging you back. There's trust there. The reciprocal relationships are the one where you never have to worry who's hosting at whose house or, or if you always have to chase someone up, they're there. It's a beautiful ping ponging back and forth. Mm. Um, and I think that that's really important. And can you be completely vulnerable with these people? And that doesn't mean you have to ha- be vulnerable with everyone, um, but you do need a grouping of like five people that you can be really, really yourself with. That's important. If you don't have that, we're in a bit of worrying territory.
0: No, I agree. I, I, I don't know. It's what? Uh, but, 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 but the like I said, the pandemic aside i've seen a lot of young people losing their social muscles i call it a social muscle which we have to keep exercising so that we develop the skills to connect to have a conversation uh, to open up and so many young people don't seem to be developing those skills and something and, I, and i've seen it on tiktok and on social media quite a lot they're labeling themselves introverts oh I, and, and then that, that's it yes. and that's it i have to i have to live up to this yeah they have to live up to this label that they've given themselves or yeah. self-diagnosed and it just takes i'm not saying that there's anything wrong with being introverted but it's you have to be careful with those labels because that's a one way of you avoiding connection if you're saying oh i, I can't do it or I, it's just not who i am
1: absolutely there's a yeah and i think anytime we there's not an organization that I don't go speak for that there's questions about introversion and extroversion. It's so funny in my work and research, it's never come up. I feel like the introversion extroversion thing is a bit of a, like an Instagram meme thing. Um, yeah. because what we know from the studies is that every single human being needs human connection on a spectrum, but we all need it. So, um, it's always funny when, people distill something down to something so basic which it's not it's more complex than that and um uh, and that's why we need people like you on TikTok um and i find TikTok really hard i've had i put human connection tips up there and i get kids saying things like i don't need human connection i just need wifi connection really worrying things Whoa. and i guess that just means that i'm in a good job for a while paul <laughs> the more, the more, um, <laughs> the more I and you can share about all of these things, the better, you know.
0: No, I, do you know? I've never been so busy as in regards to anxiety because the amount of people, for whatever reason, are not looking after themselves. You know, I've never, I didn't. When I was doing all that training, no one ever said to me, "Did you know that you'll be having to tell people not to drink coffee at night if they want to sleep." You know, it could be something as simple as that, but yeah, it's something that I, I mention at least, you know, a couple of yeah. times a week. It, it's 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 absolutely crazy that you know, basic it basically. Is it not looking you after ignoring. yourself
1: or is it not looking Yeah, yes. absolutely I mean, is it not looking after yourself or is it not looking at yourself, right?
0: But I think it's both
1: because the looking after only comes by looking at first.
0: Yeah, I, I, just, I think it's two sides. It. And I One think what I find know. is I there's yeah, so much sorry. distraction. Yeah, no, I, I think that, again it's.
1: Sorry, I we're gone, we're getting that delay loop. I apologize.
0: Yeah, no, no worries, no worries. Um, um, so yes. Just to, so, yeah, carry on.
1: Oh my God, what was I? Saying? Um, <laughs> so yeah, I I wonder with all the digital distraction, and I do talk about this in the book, I wonder with all the digital distraction and the busyness, if there is. Um, if that is also a form of distracting from doing that self-work, which by the way is really difficult, um, which I shouldn't say that's probably uh, dispelling people, but part of listening to this podcast is also a form of the self-work. You're going to hear something today that's going to send you on a path to researching something or going to see a therapist. So this is hopefully a very pleasant work experience, but there does come a point, and you know this Paul as a therapist, that you see patients um individuals going through some really hard stuff looking at their actions their behaviors their childhood and so it's it's not easy and i don't um blame people for going oh i'd rather be in the metaverse playing a game right now i i kind of i get it but it it's not helping us as a species
0: it definitely isn't and i you're right i was, I was saying it earlier that you know, there's two sides of it. One is people don't often know how to look after themselves. Some of the basic pieces of information out there, some people are oblivious to. And there is a perception of looking at yourself. And I, you know, I agree with you. It is difficult. We know that because we've we're we're doing the work. We've done the work. And it, it's a skill that you develop, but it's a skill that will gift that will be a gift that keeps on giving you know, and I, I will tell anyone who comes to work with me, it is difficult in places, but you know, when you've, when you've come <laughs> through it, the reward is immense in that awareness and knowing yourself.
1: The increase in your happiness. There are two things I wish that schools taught. Okay. The first thing I wish actually three things. The first thing I wish schools taught was that, The paradigm for success and happiness actually has nothing to do with how much money you earn or how famous you are um, or any of your material achievements. Actually, connection is what we're here for on this planet, connection to our community, to our loved ones, to ourselves. That's the number one thing. I wish that they would teach us that what you're feeling right now may not actually be what you're feeling. You might be going through a fight or flight response. You might be triggered by something. This is like, don't always judge your feelings and then judge yourself off your feelings. No, Um, And then the third thing was that, you know, there's modules for doing the work, the exact work we're talking about, that there's somewhere along the line, just more general life skills and tools that are being taught. I would love that for, that would have changed my life.
0: Me too. I think if I'd known myself better when I was younger, I would have made better decisions. But without that guidance, without that knowing myself, I was just, I just bumbled along and hoped for the best. You know, it was just, and unlike anyone, I consumed entertainment. Completely. And I
1: loathed myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I thought I was a failure.
1: Sorry that
0: we have gotten there. It's I thought I was a failure because I just wasn't getting things right the way I should. You know, so um I just there was a lot of shoulds I was saying to myself. And I was very angry and frustrated that I wasn't living up to the expectation that I thought I was, you know, that I was trying to give myself.
1: And by the way, Paul, your generation, I mean, men nineteen seventy around that time, mm. what was expected of you, what was sold to your generation was, you know. <laughs> as an Asian woman, I probably had my expectation probably like just have a good job and then marry someone and make babies, you know, but the men of your generation, it was all about providing and that success. And, you know, the greed of the eighties, when you were in primary school, you know, and, and going into your teens and being sold, there was these wall street bankers and all this. I, I can't even imagine part of this work of human connection is about empathy, right? We see a lot of gaps between, um, how people perceive women of color versus Caucasian men and all of this. And all I do is I spend my day empathizing, trying to flex that mental malleability of what would it be like for that other demographic and the expectations on your generation? they were heavy.
0: Yeah. I think every generation's generation's got its, um, Mm -hmm. got its, uh, challenges you mentioned earlier, you mentioned earlier the three uh, types of loneliness. That intrigued me. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, what, so what have so,
1: yeah. So what we got? Yeah. So Bruce A. Austin at the Rochester University of Technology came up. Um, with this. So if anyone wants to find the paper, you can find it online. But he came up with a loneliness loneliness scale. And this is like something like, I think 20 or 30 years ago now. So we can already see loneliness as a problem to be studied starting around this time where the internet starts, Okay, which is interesting. Okay. And he um, says that there's three types of loneliness that came up commonly in this study. The first was intimate loneliness. This is where you don't have anyone you can truly be vulnerable with. And most people find this in their best. Friend or their partner, their spouse. The second type um, was relational loneliness. This is where people felt that they did not have, um, you know, a social fabric that they belonged to. So if they needed something in emergency, they didn't feel they had anyone that they could call who would pick up. Um, and maybe that means that they lacked, you know, friends, family. Um, And then the third is relational, um, sorry, that was relational loneliness. The third is collective loneliness. And this is why I believe the world's quite polarised, actually. So collective connection is when you have a common thread that brings you together. This could be an ideology. This could be like a hobby, like a cycling group. Uh, This could be like the tribe that listens to this podcast who are really into personal development. So you have a group of friends that you don't have to necessarily be deep and vulnerable with them, but you have this common interest. And so if you have at any time felt that you you were lacking in one of these rungs, I think that's a really universal experience. But if you can work towards having these three rungs of loneliness filled, you're well on your way to feeling socially well-connected. But what's also dangerous, and I get a lot of young girls Um, here ask me this is trying to find one person that fits all of those. So we all know we have different sorts of friends in our lives. Mm. And when I see on Instagram, people putting up with like, if somebody does this to you, block them, if somebody does this, cut them off. Well, it's like, well, maybe some friends are your friends uh, just for doing crafting with, (laughs) and they're not meant to be the people that you ring up to cry to. And that's okay. They're not bad people you have to cut off. They're just from a different orbit. Um, And even Robin Dunbar, who's a social anthropologist, he's got Dunbar's number, which is very famous, the connection field. And it's basically that we have 150 connections and the first rung is just five really close people. And 150 is about what our brains can keep track of. So what does that tell us about social media use in terms of connection is that these followers beyond the 150 that you don't actually know of or have interfaced with, they're part of your online community or following, that doesn't mean they're your friends. Mm. And if we can have a healthy distinction between that, we will also cognitively be a lot better. You don't have to get real love from that community. They're there because you're providing some free tips or some content they like. That's not the same as a friend. Um, so when things swell with those numbers beyond the 150, our brain literally cannot keep track because, our original hunter-gatherer societies, those tribes that I mentioned before, went to about 150. Right. So this is trying to weed out the mess of what I feel like some social media memes have created in terms of friendships that we need. Um, you know, make sure you have those three rungs filled first and don't think that your boyfriend has to fill all three rungs. You can healthily have different people. But this is also where you can see with collective connection or collective loneliness, how we have radicalized political positions, how we have all these sort of, you know, gangs, for example, people fall into those places when they crave collective connection, and they can't find it, and they're vulnerable. And so they can find that collective connection in these, in actually quite negative places. So it's something to think about.
0: Definitely. I think my collective connection is definitely my exercise tribe's. Uh, that's where, you know, I love being, and yeah. Yeah, we're all, we're all going for the same thing and, and enjoying it and laughing. And, uh, so yeah, I can see the value in that. Um, as we're coming, we're coming to an end soon, but I wanted to ask for anyone listening to this, what would, what tips would you give to someone who is thinking, well, actually, yeah, maybe I'm a little bit lonely. I'd need to connect more. What advice would you give someone? Um, I
1: would firstly say Wonderful! Congratulations to you that you've been able to detect that. Because for the life of me, I wasn't able to for years. You have nothing to be ashamed of. Check in with yourself. Um, start the connect self connection with yourself. Do like a four four eight meditation breathing technique. It's going to make you nice and open when you go out to connect with people. You can use social media and apps as a way to start to. Filter for connections, you can see who have similar interests to you, a strike-up conversation to make new friends if you like. But remember that those devices are a way station. They're not the destination. So we want to move with momentum closer to you being able to go out and have a coffee and meeting up with people. And remember that the people you're meeting up with are probably just as lonely or self-conscious as you.
0: Yeah, that's really important, isn't it? We often assume that everyone else is all right and that we <laughs> were the ones with the problem.
1: Mm-hmm everyone's self-conscious and uh everyone's social skills have atrophied a bit since the pandemic so be compassionate to yourself and others
0: i just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show um if people wanted to connect with you thank
1: you so much for having me i can't wait to watch all your tiktok
0: uh you said well you know please don't judge me too harshly (laughs) Um, but if you if people wanted to connect, don't judge mine
1: too harshly oh my goodness
0: (laughs) Actually, I'm going to have to look you up now. I don't know if I've seen yours. i will have to have a little scan. But if people wanted to connect with you, Simone, and find out more about your work, where can they find you?
1: Sure. So you can look for Secret Pandemic in Amazon if you'd like to grab the book. It's also available in uh, Audiobook and and Kindle. Um, I'm really active on LinkedIn and on Instagram. Uh, So just search for Simone Heng. And if there's any questions you have, please um, direct message me and I'll send your voice note back answering if you have any questions. I love doing that because it's Mm. just a bit deeper way of connecting on social media than in the comments.
0: That is really lovely. And I'll put all your links in the show notes so people can just scan down, click on, and connect with you. Oh, thank you so much. Um, Thank you so much. Congratulations on the book. good luck. I hope it does as well as I hope it would because I got a lot from it. And I think my listeners get a lot from it. So please do have a look at The Secret of Pandemic. Uh, It's a a wonderful book, Uh, Search for Connection in a Lonely World. And I think, especially with what's going on at the moment, it's very, very topical. If you or anyone you know is struggling with anxiety or stress, then I would really recommend New Mind Wellness's Stress Support Formula Supplements. As anyone knows, buying supplements can be costly, but this is brilliant because everything is in one tiny sachet. All your vitamins, minerals, adaptogens, ancient herbs and flower remedies, and the top essentials I recommend to my clients, including ashwagandha, magnesium glycinate, and L-theanine. There's even a new probiotic version too. If you'd like to give them a try, you can get 20% discount off of your order by using the code Paul20 in the checkout box. The link is in my show notes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Simone Heng and myself having a conversation about human connection and why it's so important. Please do take it seriously. Human connection for me is everything. The connection with ourselves impacts the connection with other people so it's really something worth investing in if you'd like to reach out to myself or simone about any of the content covered in today's episode please do our contact details are in the show notes please share please subscribe please leave me a review and i look forward to connecting with you in the next episode